We're going to read uh, from Matthew 5, starting with verse 17, through the end of the chapter. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly, while you are on the way with him lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish and for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, 
No. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You may be seated. Good morning. Well, I apologize now and also ahead of time for uh, the uh, technical difficulties that is probably going to <laughs> make this a little more difficult. I'm not used to going from laptop, but my our printer is out of ink. So... That's okay. We'll rejoice in the Lord always. Actually, at home, I tell myself a little bit. We were cracking jokes yesterday, having no intention of doing this, because this is a, oh, maybe a 14-year-old laptop. So we were just joking about how bad that would be to try to do that. <laughs> so here we are. The Lord has a sense of humor. So we need to as well. I hope you can do that by the time we get done. <laughs> well, it's been a few weeks since we've been here in Matthew 5, so I thought it would be helpful to to do a little bit of a recap. Before we get started, though, I'd like to pray. Please join me. Father, we thank you for your good word that is profitable to us. It's our desire, Lord, that you would speak and you would bring forth <clears throat> those things that you desire. 
as mere men, we just uh, we do the best we can. But especially this text has challenged me concerning the, the need to walk in the Spirit always. And I personally acknowledge before you, before this body, that that is a challenge. But it's not one that we should skirt, that we should boot in any way, make excuses for. Because only by walking in your spirit can we be pleasing to you. The flesh profits nothing. Without you, we could do nothing. So I pray that you would give strength and direction by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, pardon me while I uh, increase the font size. Because this is not hitting my glasses quite right. As I mentioned, we've been away from our study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as it is often called, for a few weeks. But I also wanted to recap because I'd like to set, set the stage for a better understanding of today's text as part of the whole of chapter 5. In fact, without an understanding of the first part of this chapter fresh in our minds, we could easily miss not only the connection of today's text to the rest of the chapter, but also the heart and purpose of this teaching of our Lord. Uh, I also want to say that uh, though it's always important to consider the historical setting and time and applications as we consider any passage of Scripture, uh, I, I want to be using mostly the present tense here rather than the past for a couple of reasons. One, for consistency avoid unnecessary confusion, possibly going back and forth, but secondly and most importantly, though Jesus was here in this historical setting, teaching the disciples that had gathered around him at that time, he was also teaching all disciples that would follow, which includes us today. And that is our purpose this morning, for gathering, for listening to his word, is to be a disciple, a learner of Christ. So to recap up to the point of today's text, in Matthew 5, Jesus introduces the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. He begins in verse 3, 12, with the values and principles of the kingdom, most often called the Beatitudes. Just to summarize that, these are the conditions and attitudes of one's heart and soul and mind and the actions that flow from them that result in one being blessed and that are consistent with the kingdom of heaven. 
so right from the start, Jesus teaches us the value system of heaven. He teaches us to value on earth right now what is valued in heaven. But Jesus goes on to teach us how to live in the kingdom of heaven right now while here on earth. The values and principles seen in the Beatitudes are the basis for specific kingdom of heaven priorities as seen in his commands and life applications that follow. Just a quick example, if we look at verses 29 and 30, Jesus teaches that it's more profitable that a part of the body perishes here on earth in order to maintain a pure heart than that the whole body be cast into hell. This points back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Better to see God with one eye, as it were, than to not be there at all. Anything that stands in the way. Of course, the, the body parts example here is not intending to, to cause us to react necessarily that exact way. But it does point out how important it is. Nothing should stand in the way. So then in verses 13 through 16, Jesus tells us that we are salt and light. He teaches us the purposes for which the Father has left us here on earth. To be salt, a flavor, and preservative in the world. And to be light, a visible demonstration of the glory of God as seen in the good works that we do by the power of his spirit within us. So hide it under a bushel? No. <laughs> he exhorts us and warns us to see to it that we fulfill our purpose for being here. And as we do, we will be following the, the example that he set for us, always doing the Father's will. Then in verses 17 through 20, Jesus boldly declares his purpose for coming in terms of the fulfillment of Scripture. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He was the chosen servant, the promised Messiah, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In Isaiah, it was prophesied that he would be led like a lamb to the slaughter, to suffer and die for our sins, that he would save us from our sins by taking upon himself and giving us his righteousness. That's from several verses in Isaiah 53 and chapter 61. In Jeremiah, it was prophesied that he would make a new covenant with his people. He would remember their sins no more, and he would put his laws in our minds and write them on our hearts. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And then in Ezekiel, it was prophesied that he would cleanse his people, give them a new heart, put a new spirit within them, and take away their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That he would put his spirit within them, and cause them to walk in his statutes. It's from Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. And then in another prophecy in Ezekiel, God says that he will take their stony heart and give them a heart of flesh so that they will be able to walk in his statutes and keep his judgments and do them. Ezekiel 11, verses 19 and 20. So this is very significant that this was prophesied that he would give his spirit to us and for the purpose of walking in his ways. He would enable us to keep his statutes, to keep his judgments and do them. And isn't this what 
we're commanded to do then in chapter 5 and throughout Jesus' life and teaching. Jesus would become, in the language of the epistle to the Hebrews, the mediator of this new covenant by his own precious blood. Though in veiled language, because his time had not yet come, in this same passage, 17 through 20, Jesus was declaring in their day that the time was near to inaugurate the new covenant, and he began teaching the principles of the kingdom of heaven, which was now coming to earth, as if his blood had already been shed. I'll not be referring to the physical kingdom, but as Jesus said, the kingdom is within you. Note that in verse 19, Jesus draws a distinction between one called least in the kingdom of heaven, who breaks a commandment and teaches others to do so as well, and one who does, who both does the commandments and teaches them. He is called great in the kingdom of heaven. But then in verse 20, Jesus declares that to even enter the kingdom of heaven, our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Now we know from the reading through the rest of the gospel that the scribes and Pharisees were hypocrites who made a show of righteousness but inwardly were filthy and hard-hearted toward God. Uh, But according to the word of God in Romans 3, we are all in that same condition. We are saved only through the mercy and love of God spoken of in Romans 5 which he demonstrated by sending his son to die for us while we were still sinners. Thank God he has saved us. We love God because he first loved us, and he has forgiven us so much. We want to obey him now. He has given us his spirit. We have that desire working in our spirit. But sometimes there is a difference between wanting to do his will and the doing of his will. Paul gave voice to this dilemma in Romans 7. But note, he didn't stop with Romans 7. Thank God for Romans chapter 8. I want to read the first four verses there. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We need to know that this is These are not just nice words to make us feel better. No, God foretells through the prophets and confirms in the New Testament this vital truth. Remember the prophecies in Ezekiel 11 and 16. God takes our stony heart and gives us a heart of flesh. He puts his spirit within us so that we will be able. He makes us able to walk in his statutes and keep his judgments and do them. Praise God, he enables us by his spirit. And in Romans 8, Paul is rejoicing in this truth, which is further confirmed in Galatians 5. I want to read a few verses there. Galatians 
I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. I think they are evident to all of us. I'm going to skip that. Go to uh, verse 22. Because this is what we want to look at, the fruit. We want to consider several things here, key thoughts. One is fruit. And two, how that fruit comes about only by the power of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That last verse, very, very key. We will not be able to fulfill the commands. Just looking at chapter 5. Because if we look, just look forward to verse 48, a summary statement of the standard. Therefore, you, this is in Matthew 5, verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Anyone of us measure up to that? And ourselves? Ever? So we have a dilemma. What if we stumble? As James acknowledges, we all stumble in many ways. What then? There is grace. Grace is greater than all our sin. Romans 5. But as Romans 6 teaches, we are not to continue in sin that grace may abound. No, we are to yield the members of our body as instruments of righteousness. And he has given us his spirit so that we are able to do that. Prophesied, Delivered. Now, the new covenant. We don't do so perfectly in the sense of we stumble in many ways. We stumble from time to time. His grace is there. Because his purpose, as he said in verse 14 through 16, we are here as lights in the world to glorify God. When we walk with the Spirit, we do good works in obedience to Him. And in the process, fruit is growing. Character is building. Character that reflects Christ. So good character and good works, giving glory to God, being lights in the world. The principle then is this. Since we live in the Spirit, let us continue to walk in the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit may become evident in us, and good works that give glory to God. And then in terms of the righteousness of Christ, it is given to us, since we are made righteous in Christ, let us yield our members as instruments of righteousness that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
the key, brothers and sisters, is yielding to the Holy Spirit, who always does the will of the Father. This is how Jesus walked. And as John, 1 John 2, 6 says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So then, beginning Matthew 5, verse 21, Jesus begins to apply the values and principles of the kingdom. And we can see a pattern throughout the rest of the chapter leading up to verse 48. Something along the lines of, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Jesus does several things in each of these short passages throughout the rest of the chapter. He corrects wrong teaching, but he always redirects us from living by the letter of the law to living by the spirit of the law. His commands can only be truly obeyed when we yield to the Holy Spirit's control because only the Holy Spirit knows the Father's will perfectly and will act in perfect accord with the Father's plans. This is why Jesus was perfectly pleasing to the Father. And only because of that was he qualified as the perfect sacrifice. He always did what the Father's will was. He was always listening. The Father had given him his spirit. He walked in the spirit perfectly. We know that we won't do that, but that's no excuse for not continuing to work at it, continuing to grow. So when we look at, uh, just looking at the verse 21 through 26, there's several of these uh, short passages, we can see uh, some aspect of yielding control to the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 through 26, that starts out speaking of murder, but Jesus takes it all the way to the heart with anger. So we need to yield control of our emotions. In verse 27 through 30, instead of just looking at adultery the way that the scribes and Pharisees in their days looked at it and therefore taught others, Jesus took it to the heart matter. We must yield control of our eyes and ears and thoughts. Take care of the input. Each one of us know of any age here, once inside, it's inside. We need to not, rather than yielding to the lusts of the flesh, we need to yield to the Holy Spirit. When we do that, we are obeying him. And in that, in that way, we are being perfect. When we obey the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit perfectly pleases the Father, and leads us to obey Him. So, acknowledging that we stumble in many ways, we need to, even more importantly, acknowledge that He has enabled us to walk with Him, to walk by His Spirit and please Him. We, made, we might occasionally stumble, but as First John would teach throughout that epistle, what do we practice 
And, and there's also the matter of maturity. Are we growing in it? Increasing. Increasing measure, as Second Peter Pistol talks about in the first chapter. So, moving on to verse 31 and 32, which is really related to the previous one. So, uh, in that case, there's, there's just a kind of a quick doing away with Moses' concession. Remember in Matthew 19 where they question him further. This is just a couple of verses, but it's, that's a rather lengthy passage where they question him about divorce and, and say, well, well, then why did Moses, and they even said, command us. He, did. <laughs> he provided it. It's a concession. It wasn't a command to do it. But that's what they wanted to look at it as. And Jesus' answer was, not so from the beginning. So here, Jesus is doing away with Moses' concession. Remember what the concession was about? Hard hearts. Hard hearts. So what has the Lord done about hard hearts? Did he not prophesy in Ezekiel that he would remove our stony heart and give us a soft heart? Give us his own spirit that we might be able to obey his commands? So Jesus summarily removes that completely. There's no need for it. It's provided for in the new covenant if we walk in it. So I think we've noticed this, we've mentioned this in different uh, language, that it's a higher standard. Sometimes we talk about you know, raising the bar. Well, if we look at verse 48, the bar is raised all the way to the top. You can't get any higher than the Father's perfection. Where does that leave us? Actually, in the New Covenant, leaves us in a pretty good position. The Old Covenant, the bar's down here, and we can't make it. That's what led us to Christ. It's a schoolmaster to show us we can't even, we can't even do this. <laughs> Without even hardly dealing with the matters of the heart, we can't even keep the basic commandments. We sure can't do anything about our hard hearts. Our sin, the depths of which we don't know. But the Lord has dealt with all that. We can do this. Not absolutely perfectly in terms of our, how we think about perfection. 100.0%. But every time that we obey the Spirit, we have obeyed perfectly. Because, because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, never leads us to do anything less than perfect. He is God. It's the miracle that He gives us His Spirit. That's just incredible. And we absolutely need it in order to clear this bar. So thank God He's provided. 
Jesus Christ is to be the firstborn among many brethren. We are to be like him. And God is about the job of making us like him. As we walk in the spirit, he is constantly changing us from glory to glory, he tells us. So remember that verse, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's interesting, and when you think about hard hardness, there's no longer any provision for that. We, we can't get away with that. But we don't need to. He has done away with it. He's prophesied that's what he's doing. Taking away the heart of stone, giving us a heart of flesh. Scripture that would be worth considering is Ephesians 4, verse 32. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The Holy Spirit can lead us to obey that from the heart, to love one another from the heart. There's no provision for walking in the flesh. We're just told, make no provision for the flesh. But the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we do not need to yield to our flesh. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And remember, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So when we read these kinds of challenging things that are dealing with matters of the heart and we start from day to day, we see how if we're walking in the flesh, we, we're hopelessly lost. So let's do what he says and walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. That's the way of joy, of peace, of righteousness and no condemnation. We must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. But we are in Christ. He is perfect. He has taken our sin and given us His righteousness. We must abide in Him. Without Him, without him we can do nothing. We must abide in Him in order to bear fruit to God. John 15. So, fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit that remains. Remember from Colossians 1, 9 to 10. Fruit is the purpose of the knowledge of God. God has revealed himself to us and given all these provisions in order that we bear fruit to him. That's our purpose for being here. Character and good works that glorify God. John 15, 8. Remember, too, that fruit takes time. This is an important aspect of this to, to understand. Otherwise, we could just either we could get confused, we could get discouraged. Fruit takes time, and it can only be produced by the Holy Spirit as we yield to him. And maturity in Christ is the same. Scriptures speak of us as a babe in Christ sometimes, you know, a child, young child. Young men, old men. John refers to this in his first epistle. So that as well takes time. And there's a, some, a couple of scriptures that use this, the word translated usually perfect. 
in uh, King James and New King James, sometimes complete. Uh, it's used many, many places. But there's a, one in particular here in Hebrews 5, verse 14, that is helpful to, it adds more thought to it in the context. I read verse 13 with it. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Notice that, the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Perfect. Same word. It's just in this context, it's seen as what it's meaning. It's referring to maturity. That is, and this is how it's done. This is the path of maturity. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And surely we can see, that's not just talking about a mental exercise of discernment. It's discerning the, the path that the Spirit would have and going that path. Saying yes to Him. Making no provision for our flesh. As we do that, we mature. We grow. We get stronger. We get more consistent in that. Philippians 3.15. So we were in Philippians last week and I'd like to go to Back to that one too and just kind of pick up some context there. Philippians 3.15. This is after Paul has had this tremendous account of him uh, counting all things lost that he may gain Christ. Ends with, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, therefore let us as many as are mature. Perfect. The full age. As many as are mature have this mind. Remember what that mind was? The mind of Christ. Take on his mind. The determination to walk humbly with God and to do his will. All of it. All the time. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained maturity, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So, we now get to today's text. In verse 33, and just a little summary of, of what this is, which I, to me it was, it was helpful to, to look at this as a summary first, see it as a whole. Because three more times Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. So he, three more times, he corrects wrong teaching and redirects from living by the letter of the law to living by the spirit of the law. And so we see also three more ways that we need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. In verses 33 through 37, we find we need to yield control of our speech to the Holy Spirit. That may not immediately seem evident to you, but there's something uh, in a minute here I'll, I want to share with you about that that the Lord really dug around in my life through preparation on that one in particular. I think it's primarily speaking of yielding control to the Holy Spirit of our speech. And that impacts 
how we speak with others. So instead of selfish, prideful speech and the inevitable boasting and dishonesty and sharp tongue that goes along with it, we move toward humility before God and speaking the truth to our neighbor. And then verse 38 through 42, yielding control of our attitude. This impacts how we receive and respond to others' actions. So instead of concern for only self-interest, remember Philippians 2, how the mind of Christ is laid out there as to what kind of actions that meant. For us, it's not just thinking only of our own interests, but others. So we move from concern for only self-interest as we yield to the Holy Spirit to concern for God's glory and the interest of our neighbor. And then in verse 30, or sorry, 43 through 47, we need to yield the control of our affections. Our affections. This impacts how we regard and then treat others. So instead of loving only self, we learn to love God and our neighbor. The great commandment and the second that is very much like it. Remember that in 1 John, he hammers on this quite a bit. How can we say we love God if we don't love our brother? How we, and it's the Lord expands this, not just our brother, like our brother in the Lord, but our neighbor. And he gives the example of the Samaritan. He himself exemplified this to the max, Jesus. And so then, finally, we reach 48, the incredible summary statement, the new covenant standard, the Father's perfection. So first 48 is like a closing bookend for the whole. Uh, I look at this not, only, not just the whole of the chapter, but in particular, 17 through 20 kind of initiates the foundation, even though veiled language is pointing to the new covenant. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, the best there was in that day, they don't even enter. We have to be born again. This is the, the starting point, is new life, life in Christ, a new creation. So, that new covenant standard is a standard of righteousness. But is it a, a new standard? No. The Father's perfection has always been the standard. We just haven't been quick to realize it. Be perfect. Your Father is perfect. That's from the Old Testament. As well as the New. As we have seen, we meet that standard not by our own efforts, but by relying on the righteousness of Christ and yielding our members as instruments of his righteousness. So, looking at the first passage, 33 through 37. Again, this 
As we yield control of our speech, it impacts how we speak with others. We move toward humility before God and speaking truth to our neighbor. Now, as I was thinking about this particular passage, I remembered verse in James, and I went there just to read it, and my first thought was, oh yeah, I remember that one. Always puzzled me. This is chapter 5, verse 12 in James. Would you turn there, please? I want to spend a, a few minutes here in James. He pretty much just summarizes uh, that last verse, verse 37, in the passage in Matthew 5. Reading the full verse. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath. He just just very quickly covers all those other verses right there. And then says, and almost repeats verbatim, but you'll let your yes be yes, and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. And as I mentioned, the scripture had always puzzled me a bit. And the reason is, it starts out, but above all. I'd be interested, did anybody else think about that at any time in the last 10 years and look at it? No? Okay. Just me. Well, it just struck me this time, especially hard. I just uh, appreciate Steve's encouragement over time here to ask questions. <laughs> so I ask questions. Of course, I ask questions of the text. You know, it, it's, it's God's text, so I, I ask him. <laughs> Why? After all that James has said, and he's, he hits on several subjects, some of them hits pretty hard. He kind of tends to be a little blunt. And I, I think perhaps because of the different writing style of James, I, I had just looked at that and say, I don't know, maybe just words kind of tumbled off his brain at the time, above all. You know, because it just seems isolated, doesn't it? You look at it, it's just, he's been talking about something else, and then he goes on talking about something else yet. But all scripture is inspired. No mistakes. No purposelessness with God, ever. So I, I thought about that. Okay, why? Why is it above all? My flesh ended up wishing that I hadn't asked the question. I'll just acknowledge that. It hurt where I ended up. But this is where I need to spend really most of the time in this passage. Because what I found, and this is why I said earlier, I believe this is speaking primarily to yielding control of our tongue, of our speech. Remember how James would speak about the tongue? I found that in chapter 1, Just after he said something I've, I've easily locked onto, it's a precious text, and I think it's so vital in us, uh, uh, talking about being doers of the word, not just hearers only. 
and, and ending at verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Blessed, that's the same word used in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. And then it says this. Again, kind of like out of the blue, sort of. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And then he goes on to give a couple of examples of pure and undefiled religion. Obviously, this is not totally inclusive, but they're examples. So we have a verse early in the epistle, and we have a verse later in the epistle talking about letting your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. And that is what James elaborates on in chapter 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. I've heard that before. I noticed this time that this although he connects it to being teachers. And there's a connection back to Matthew 5, verse 19. But it's primarily not a discussion of teachers. He doesn't go on to warn a bunch of other things about teachers. He begins to talk about stumbling in word. That if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. able also to bridle the whole body. It's kind of like he's saying, the last thing to conquer, your tongue. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn the whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires now, who would that pilot be in this application? God, through his Holy Spirit. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest and a little, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among the members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. The following passage is also good. ends up with the fruit of righteousness, speaking of, sown in peace by those who make peace. But I want us just to consider, as I did earlier, just hoping to just 
open up my own life here a bit and hopes that it will be helpful. I found this very challenging because uh, here in the middle, he has a lot to say. He has one verse before, one verse after, but a lot to say here. And he speaks of judgment. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. No man can tame the tongue. If one has bridled his tongue, he's able to bridle the whole body. What I found in my life that I had just not really given much attention to that not the attention the Lord gives and yet there's, there's an implicit almost a promise if we would if I would bridle my tongue yielding it to the Holy Spirit, letting him bridle my tongue. Be able to turn the whole body. There would be, in other words, there's a connection to it, there's a strength. Think in terms of the practice. Practicing walking in the Spirit. Growing. Bearing fruit. Becoming mature. Perfect. And I missed out and robbed God by just not being careful, putting forth the effort that He gives me, His Holy Spirit for, and He gives me the power to do it. So I just acknowledge that, that this was very sobering and challenging to me. I think it's also a, an example of how to see Jesus' teaching. If you look back at Matthew 5, the first four verses of that five-verse passage, 33 through 37, is speaking about swearing, swearing falsely, taking oaths. Many things in the Old Testament said about oaths. Of course, there's the, the command not to swear falsely, or in other words, not, not to swear an oath and then not keep it. That's defined as swearing falsely. And Jesus is saying, don't swear at all. Now, just talking about, you know, you're in a courtroom. I think there would be plenty of reason to, to see that that's not the point here. And in fact, it, it's much more consistent when you see let your yes be yes and your no, no. That's in fact what you do. You know, somebody else says something and you say yes. When you stand, you know, you and a near about to be spouse, stand in front of someone, you know, repeat some vows, and they repeat them, and I do. 
Yes. It's, it's simple. It's direct. It's not, I do, and I'm, I'm actually going to be the best, you know, I'm going to accomplish great things, and absolutely I do. No, you, you don't add words. It's, it's not only not necessary, it's, it just really fouls it up. God would have us be simple and straightforward. Speak the truth. I want to bring out a... You know, it won't turn there. I think we're pretty familiar with these, these verses that speak about speaking the truth with one another. But there's an element there of straightforwardness. It's not only truth in the sense of it's true, not false. But there's many other places... Like when the disciples would say to Jesus, oh, now you're speaking plainly. In, in John, chapter 16, somewhere. That same word, same concept. Being plain spoken. When Jesus was standing before Pilate, some other rulers, would ask him, he would just say, in their language, it means, you know, it is as you say. It's basically, yes. That's it. Yeah, the father prompted him to say something else. There was one point he, he added not anything to do with enforcing his yes or modifying it in any way. It was just saying, you know, you're going you're gonna to be seeing something else here too. But his answer was straightforward. It was plain spoken. That is the main intent. And it's actually it's connected then to bridling the tongue. Will we give the Holy Spirit control? Or do we want to we say things the way we want to say it? We want to add something here. Sharp jab. I, in our home and probably outside that I'm I, I like to, my brain just kind of goes in funny directions of puns here and there. I, I'm not going to get all, you know, tied up in knots about that, except for when it is actually just not being plain spoken. And when it's, when it's an opportunity for the flesh, at every case, in every case, I need to be controlled by the Spirit. My tongue needs to be under His control. And as a brother in the Lord, I just, I'd ask you to pray for me. That, that I could let this word sink in. And I could learn and, and reach greater levels of fruitfulness and maturity. Because that's what I'm here for. If, if, he, if he doesn't have a purpose for me, take, you know, take me to heaven. But he left me here. And that purpose, he has told, told me what that is. He's told each one of us we're to be salt and light. A light in the midst of a dark world. Shining brighter all the time as the darkness sets in. The brightness of our light will be related to our level of maturity and fruitfulness that comes from 
giving control to the Holy Spirit. Some other scriptures and thoughts that I want to put out here as well that was especially convicting. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All these things are matters. Jesus is always taking it to the heart. That's where things start. What comes out our mouths, that's where it's coming from. We need to have our hearts submitted to the Holy Spirit which, as we move through this, we, we get down more to a heart issue. We must wrestle with and deal with those issues as well if we're going to be able to bridle our tongue. And the Lord would have us not be as the horse or the mule who has to have a, the, the bit jammed into the mouth, you know, r- roughly controlled, Would he not want us to be, to move at the least word? That ought to be the goal, the desire of our heart, to be pleasing to him that way. May he help us, encourage us. So then, verses 38 to 42. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This one in particular, I just want to mention that when Jesus corrects here, you've heard it was said, but I say to you, I tell you not to resist an evil person. That particular scripture from the Old Testament was never intended to be applied to person to person. You know, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. This was a civil matter. A court judgment, if you will, to fairly apply recompense, compensation. It's interesting in comparison to uh, verse 21 that speaks of the first one there when it talks of murder, anger. The Pharisees and the, the traditions of the elders over time had gotten farther and farther away from that, from, from the real meaning of it to the point where I read some things that were they described in some of their later writings. They moved clear away to where if you weren't actually holding the murder weapon, you would excuse yourself. You hire a mercenary and you could say, oh, I didn't murder. When Jesus said this started way before that. But you see the correction. They had taken that one for their personal benefit, and change the word of God. Same thing here on the other extreme. This one, they, they wanted hold of this eye for eye, tooth for tooth, to take vengeance. Jesus has to correct this, pulling back the other way. And he tells us then further, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. That one in particular would be 
referring to in their day, the Roman soldier could just say, you carry my load. Anytime, just pick out somebody and they'd have to carry it for a mile. He's suggesting, go ahead and give him another mile and a smile. Bless him. A good work that would glorify the Father and cause him to think, what's going on here? What's different about this person? Verse 42 is, is challenging. I, I Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. I've puzzled about this one and I, I think I've come down as far as standing here and speaking to, to not speak anything much, for sure. I just acknowledge that in our day, there has come to be a professional clientele uh, that many of them probably make more than any of us do. <laughs> Certainly, most of us. There's been exposés about this. So it's, it's hard when you know a particular area that this is being practiced. So I, I just have to leave it with you to, to have a, a right, a sound conscience before God on that. Uh, I think he would not have us just simply wantonly respond to leeches. I mean, we can find some, some counsel other places in the Word of God, for example, Proverbs. But as far as coming down on a particular place there, uh, I think I should not. Jesus is, is not so much looking to, again, apply the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Let's make sure that we grasp what the spirit of the law is here. Generosity and not counting somebody's offense and actually turning and blessing it. Being willing to hold the things, the resources that God gives us open-handedly if the Lord wants to take them, move them somewhere else. It's not really ours. We're just stewards. It's his. That's the attitude that we ought to strive for and see how that pleases God and is like our Heavenly Father, which is where goes in the next passage. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? I find it especially interesting. Uh, uh, Matthew seems to find reason to put these tax collector type examples. He seems to get them all. They seem to be very meaningful to him. Don't you imagine? And, and in a humble way, he's very free with this. He's the one that includes the, in Matthew 18, uh, you know, the church discipline matter, treating someone like a tax collector. Matthew has no problem with that. 
We ought not either. But this is, this had to be very challenging in their day. The Romans were hated oppressors. And here Jesus has given, you know, one compels you to go with a mile, go with him too. And then, you know, you can imagine somebody gritting their teeth, okay, I'll go second mile. But love them, bless them, pray for them. Put yourself in their place. We, see, we, it's a little harder for us to, rely, to, to relate to this, although we may be moving in that direction in some ways, culture. But nothing like they were facing, really. They were cruel oppressors, many of them. As a whole, certainly were. Love them. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. We're to have the same kind of attitude that he does. The Holy Spirit can help us have that attitude and walk that way. So just some summary thoughts here that these teachings, when taken as a whole, from verse 21 through 47, these six different sessions where Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. It covers all of our lives in terms of the heart matters. Our speech, our thoughts, our attitudes about others, our our affections for others. is not surprising. We are new creations in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If all things have become new, Jesus is teaching. This is new teaching directed to a new creation that will now need to respond, yield to the Holy Spirit and respond then to his voice in, in an ever-increasing way, you know, practice-wise. Becoming a full age by reason of use, discerning good and evil. In Christ we are adopted children of the Father. As children of promise, he has sealed us for himself with his Holy Spirit. The Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and has transferred us into his kingdom of his son. This is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.13 and Romans 14.17. And Jesus came announcing that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and made it clear that this was a change that was taking place right then. Note in John 4 verses 23 to 24, as Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, he said, but the hour is coming and now is. Transition point right here. Jesus has come. He hasn't yet gone to the cross. He's not yet 
inaugurated the new covenant, but the mediator is on the scene and headed there to the cross. The hour is coming, and now is. He's already teaching his disciples. These are principles as if it was already happening. And then they were ready. God had prepared them. Jesus had taught them. And even though they ran, they all ran, as prophesied, Jesus denied, or sorry, Peter denied Jesus. All that happened. But after the Holy Spirit has come, they yielded to him. It wasn't just that Jesus had done a great job teaching. Oh, I'm sure he did. He did a great job teaching. But the same teaching, the word of God, living and active Word of God. We have that teaching too. We need to see that in terms of power and ability, there is no difference. If we have the Holy Spirit, we can walk in that Spirit. That's what He calls us to do. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. The hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Our flesh brings nothing to the table. Without Him, we can do nothing. Without obedience to His Spirit, on an individual act basis, it's worth as much as the Pharisees' actions. If they're in the flesh... Look over Romans 8 again. It's pretty clear. We must walk in the Spirit. And we must learn to know the shepherd's voice. My sheep, know my voice and follow me. How can we follow if we don't know his voice? How can we know his voice if we so frequently ignore it? That dulls us. The more we obey, the more sensitive we become to the inner voice of the Spirit. That's his way, and it's the only way to grow in him. So, to sum up, I earlier pointed out that in verse 48, Jesus gave us the new covenant standard of righteousness, but also that it is not a new standard, that our Heavenly Father's perfection has always been the standard. And we have seen from this passage today that we meet this most high standard of the most high God, not by our own efforts, which are no better than the self-righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees spoken of in verse 20, but only by relying on the righteousness of Christ and yielding our members as instruments of his righteousness. So just as we have trusted and yielded our souls to the great creator who became our savior, and persuaded that he is able to keep that which we've committed to him until that day, 2 Timothy 1.12, so also must we learn to yield the members of our bodies as instruments of righteousness, confident that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6. It is the Lord's desire for us, as expressed in Paul's prayer that follows, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, 
being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Peter also, in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 9, expresses the Lord's purpose in saving us. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim, that we may proclaim by word and by deed that we are yielded to and controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's how we proclaim. It's the only way that is satisfactory to the Father. That we may proclaim the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, do you see what a high calling this is? One that he has enabled us for. Do you see why the scriptures speak of walking worthy of our calling and of counting all things lost that we may gain Christ? Let us rise up and have done with lesser things. And with love and zeal, worthy of his holy name and worthy of our high calling to bear his name. Let us serve the King of Kings now, here on earth, until he comes and receives us unto himself. Let's pray. A Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. among us. May your kingdom come in us. May your will be done in us on earth in these earthen vessels as it is done in heaven perfectly. You're interceding for us even now at the Father's right hand. May we who live by the Spirit also walk in the Spirit May the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives be a clear demonstration of the power and perfect righteousness of Christ before a watching world among whom we shine as lights for your good and eternal purpose. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.